0: Welcome to our new PR Week podcast episode with Arvind Hickman.
1: Hello and welcome to The PR Show. I'm Arvind Hickman and today we're going to look at creativity in PR. At this year's Cannes Festival of Creativity, established PR consultancies failed to score the top prize in the PR lines. Is this a sign that PR agencies are still lagging in the creative stakes, or is there cause for optimism? To discuss creativity, I'm joined by Edelman's Michelle Hutton, who is this year's Khan PR jury president, Weber Shanwick's head creative, James Nester, and the Romans' associate creative, Ottilie Radcliffe. Welcome to you all. Hello. Thank you for having us. You're welcome. Uh, To begin with, um, James and Michelle were both at Cannes, and I'd just like to sort of go around the panel and ask each of you which sort of campaigns really stuck out for you.
2: So I'm going to wear my Australia hat for a moment Mm -hmm. and talk about a campaign from my home country and yours too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And one that I thought was great for a number of reasons. The entrant is or was Lend Lease, which is a big property construction Mm -hmm. company in Australia. And they entered, uh, I think, a brilliant piece of work into the employee engagement and internal communications category within PR, and it's called Safety Mums. And I would really recommend everyone take a look at it because, one, it was hugely effective. Two, I think it's a great demonstration of creativity at work in perhaps an area of our craft that doesn't get a lot of attention.
1: Can you give us a bit of a rundown on the campaign? Well, it
2: was basically, you know, a property construction company that clearly has safety front and centre as a business objective and business strategy. They talked about how over the last few years, safety messages has become sadly white noise within the business. So hard to get traction around safety messages internally. And, you know, they came up with this insight around, you know, rightly or wrongly, we all still think that our mothers uh, keep us safe, no matter how old or young we might be. And it was a a great example of a simple execution, which was real mums coming into the workforce to help communicate the importance of safety messages. And they did it in a incredibly, I've got goosebumps even just remembering it now, like really humorous, really funny, engaging way. And, you know, I have to say, and, and for those listeners and, you know, those here who have who have judged, you know, we, we all know what it's like when we come across a beautifully produced entry film that makes everyone in the jury room laugh, and that's what this piece of work did. And it was... One of those pieces that at times in the jury room we all said, can we just play that safety mum's film again because we all just need a a bit of a laugh and it was a great, I think, human insight, really engaging and, you know, as I say, a really effective campaign in perhaps an area of our craft that doesn't typically get as much Perhaps creativity or attention is what it should.
3: Okay, James, which one stood out for um, you? Yeah, there, there were loads that stuck out. Uh, I think one of my favourites was disables, uh, this, disables for IKEA, I it which was, was brilliant. brilliant. Yeah, it won uh, Grand Prix in uh, health and many and it other. And awarded
2: in PR as well. Yeah, many yep. other
3: <laughs> many other awards. Uh, sorry, before I went uh, before the awards were announced, I thought it was amazing. So I was really pleased to see that recognised. Uh, it, for anyone that hasn't seen it, please check out the case study because it will sound it's much more entertaining than I'm going to say now. But uh, the idea is that all those IKEA bits and bobs you have around the home aren't that easy to use when you're living with a disability. And so a range of products were designed uh, that make switching on lights easier, um, getting out of uh, opening cupboards easier, all of these things. If you, if you for example, have uh, cerebral palsy. Um, and, and these were available in store too. Uh, so it was actually an idea that became a product that you could buy. And they were also available to download to 3D print. So it's brilliant. It's a, like all the best ideas. It, it spanned all the different media channels. Uh, it wasn't just a, a PR idea or an advertising idea. It was a proper uh, idea that affected the, the company and what mm-hmm. they actually sold, which is why I love it. Uh, one other quick idea I'll quickly mention was for... Before you get onto yeah.
2: that, did you know that the guy in the ad actually yes, works for the agency. Yeah, he's a copywriter. It's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I love that.
3: Yeah, apparently he got involved in helping come up with the name yeah. and, and uh, no doubt other elements of the campaign, which is great. Brilliant, brilliant. And um, the other one I was going to mention, the reason this stuck out was because 90% of stuff that wins at Cannes is for purpose these days. <laughs> and. You know, that's, you know, has been accused, uh, some brands have been accused of woke washing, uh, which we can come on to in, in a <laughs> bit perhaps. Mm-hmm. But uh, one I thought was ingenious is just a way to sell a product, which, which is what advertising used to be about, it was for, it was called Scent for Glade. I don't know if anyone no, caught I this I didn't one. See that one. Uh, so this is ingenious use of an, a new media actually. So you know those airbags that you get in packaging, you know, if you get something from I Amazon or whatever? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, loved it. So they used yeah. the air within those packs as a way of sampling their product. So if you burst those packs, you could smell oh, the, okay, the air that's freshener. Really so I thought that's, that's ingenious. Um, <coughs> you know, there's question marks about using plastic, obviously. but They're putting it to very good use there, and I thought that was very ingenious. Okay. Mm. lovely.
4: I didn't actually go to Cannes. So I was sort of watching it from afar. Mm. Um, but I really liked the, um, the whopper detour. We were actually talking about this before we started recording mm. um, because I think it's really smart because I think... McDonald's and Burger King have got this really nice relationship where they sort of troll each other and people find it really funny and they really buy into it and both brands get to sort of demonstrate their brand personality through campaigns like that. Um, And we're talking about, you know, it's a little bit clunky in that they're sending customers to McDonald's to unlock a 1P burger um, at Burger King, but their app sales uh, went up by 1.5 million in five days. They were number one app um, on the app store. So I just think in terms of driving people to download the app if that was their intention and getting global coverage about a really nice uh, campaign that demonstrates their sort of tone of, vo- tone of voice. It's just really effective.
3: Okay. Yeah, I think what's interesting about the Burger King work is that they've, they've got essentially a big idea in, and, and that is we take the piss out of yeah. McDonald's. <laughs> and then almost anything they do that does that can win a lion. Mm-hmm. And so on the one hand... It seems like an easy ticket to win something that is incredibly difficult to win, but on the other hand, that's the same as any big idea. You know, once you've got a big idea, it's eminently campaignable, and you can keep doing brilliant work off it.
4: Yeah, so, and I think they're the strongest me. campaigns, ones that have established a brand behavior mm-hmm. and do the same thing over and over again, so that people see it, recognize it, and are like, "Oh yeah, this again, love mm-hmm. this." Yeah,
3: yeah, that's the secret to great yeah. advertising, and and a lot of advertising and marketing is has been accused of becoming too short term mm. these days, and. There's a recent study on ab- advertising effectiveness which was making the news, whereby the um, the creative award winners have previously been very strongly linked to effectiveness, mm. and apparently that link hasn't been found mm-hmm. recently, which is worrying. <laughs> Um, but uh, apparently that's been attributed to brands acting quite short term and just coming up with tactics rather than big brand building mm. platforms okay what about in terms
1: of the PR entries what what, what are your views on the standard of um, the PR lines this year versus previous years
2: should I kick off yes please <laughs> so a few observations you know one is that pleasingly PR or earned, creative, showed up really well in Cannes across the festival. And that's been a trend that we've been seeing now for a number of years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you look across, you know, all of not just the Grand Prix, but, you know, all of the lion winners across the festival, a huge proportion of those lions went to earned creative, which is brilliant. And I think that's a reflection of the fact that, you know, what we do as a craft is really important now to businesses and brands and people are recognising that. So, you know, big tick. Um, I think that if you look at what we awarded in the PR category this year, you know, pleasingly out of the top six three had a PR agency attached to it. In fact, the Grand Prix winner, which is an agency from um, Berlin, Schultz and Friends, is in some respects what I would call a modern agency because it has earned at the core – And has built an agency with full capabilities from production, creative digital data around this public affairs and public relations 360 thinking. Mm. So, you know, that's, I think, obviously a trend that we're seeing across the world. But, you know, pleasingly, three out of the six top pieces of work that we awarded had a PR agency attached to it,
3: Ooh. so big tech. Are that's- we talking about idea, idea, though, or are we talking about
4: media relations? Both, Both of them. Because they really, did the tampon book, didn't they, Schultz and Friends? Correct. Yeah. So
2: if you, I mean, we can sort of go down the list if, if we want to, but, um, yeah, they had PR absolutely attached to it. And I think you pick up a really interesting point. There's a huge, I think, an important conversation to have around, you know, how PR agencies are showing up in Cannes because some have a strategy around being the main entrant Mm. and others don't you know others play the game of and not a game play play, turn up Mm. and 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 want to be seen and and awarded as a partner agency and some don't so it's it's horses for courses right but you know, if you look at the the, the ranking of, of agencies, you know, we, we showed up well as, as as a discipline, I think, this year. But to your point, not always as the main entrant. Mm. But you know, we can debate whether that's good, bad, or indifferent. People have different views. But you know, to answer your question, you know, half of the work that we awarded in the top six had PR attached to it, and that's a huge
4: step change mm.
2: from from years prior.
1: So it's an improvement.
2: Correct.
4: I just think there's, there's so much blurring now between what agency disciplines are. And I think increasingly everyone is just a creative agency. Because if you look at a lot of the Grand Prix winners, you couldn't tell whether that was an ad agency that did that, a PR agency, a production agency. It's all sort of one big mix now. And one and does of, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And one of the ideas that I really liked um, was the last ever issue, which is that Polish porn mag... Um, that a media company sort of turned into um, a feminist empowerment um, magazine by buying it and redoing it. Um, and media houses in the UK are doing that as well. Like Live Bible have got their own like very amazing PR arm. And I just think to sort of separate it now into this is PR, this is advertising, the, like stay in your lane, mm. is just uh, sort of not going to happen going forward.
3: Yeah, well, I think um, you, could, you could say that the best ideas have always been the lines between different mm. disciplines. Mm. Um, you know, if you take very old ads, uh, TV ads, the best TV ads have been earned ideas.
2: Absolutely. Yeah.
3: So, you know, if you look at something like Orange Tango Man from the 80s, which got banned because everyone was going around slapping each other in the ear <laughs> in the playground. Now that's a proper social PR idea. Yeah. And yet, you know, there are no social channels available. And so, I think you're right that those lines are completely blurred for good ideas. However, of course, some agencies simply don't have certain capabilities, mm. so some agencies are set up to be a supporting function, so, mm. yeah, that 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 will remain and there'll be need for specialist agencies.
4: Mm. I just think, sorry, I also think that in terms of awards, because agencies are behaving in that way and that we're all multidisciplined. I think increasingly there won't be a need to separate into categories. I don't know what you think, but I just think we're winning d pencils. Uh, ad agencies are winning PR Lions. It's just everybody sort of eating each other's lunch at this mm. point. Mm.
3: I think there will always be needed for categories because that's how they make their money.
4: Mm, yeah, that's very So the more true.
3: categories they have, the more money they can make. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see many PR agencies sort of going into other spaces that would
1: be traditionally dominated by ad land?
2: Absolutely. Um, In creative strategy, which was a new category this year, there were a lot of PR uh, agencies entering. Obviously, the digital craft um, categories, you know, social and influencer. um, Yes, to answer your question, a lot. And I think we will see that trend continue. Okay.
1: Okay. What about in terms of, I mean, if you look at the power lines and you look at the idea creation, there was a lot of advertising agencies that were sort of appeared to be coming up with these ideas. I mean, is that fair, do you think, on on power agencies in, in terms of the input that they might have in an idea, but then it feels like the advertising agency might get more credit for it? How does it generally work in terms of coming up with ideas? Well,
3: I think often the right agency is attributed for the idea. Uh, There's many factors that go into that. Mm. Uh, You've got to remember that ad agencies, um, 30% of their staff will be creative. And it's very, very different uh, in PR. And and there's a very different heritage in terms of what their role is with clients and the kind of clients they deal with, the kind of budgets they work with. Mm -hmm. So all of these factors come into play. But that's not to say that PR agencies aren't very creative in the solutions they offer.
4: Mm. I think PR when you have an agency mix, PR um, is often now the lead agency, which would never have happened maybe 10 years ago. It was always um, advertising-led. Mm-hmm. Um, so now it might be the PR agency that comes up with the creative platform that then everyone else sort of ladders up to, which is um, amazing, I think, for us.
1: Okay. What What sort of lessons would you... Do you think the PR industry can learn from what you saw? It can. Are there any lessons, for example?
2: Gosh, lots of lessons. Where mm-hmm. to begin? Um, you know, I think. I think there were some key themes that we saw, in the PR jury room, which is probably worth flagging. You know, number one was, we saw fewer global campaigns and more local campaigns. And I think that is a sign of the times. I think that, you know, we we saw a lot of work also from surprising markets, Lebanon being one. I can't begin to tell you how many brilliant pieces of work we saw in the PR jury from Lebanon. Mm-hmm. Um, but this theme of local work was really, really telling. And... You know, I guess I, I think that's a reflection of the world that we now live in, right? So it's companies and brands needing to be more locally relevant and finding their place in the world to help solve local brand issues. You know, how, how can brands be relevant to to local people in local markets? So I think that's something that we can all take from the festival you know back to back to our daily our daily work the second theme and we sort of touched on it was this amazing volume of work from media companies and great work like really brilliant creative ideas and it's almost you know dare i say it the media companies fighting back mm. you know i think they're really well aware of the fact that they have a trust issue and that they have equally a role to play in stepping up and helping drive conversation and change in society at different levels. So I would encourage everybody to look at the media company entries. They were really, really great. And then the third thing I would flag is, we saw, which I think again was pleasing, the point around purpose that we touched on. Mm. Yes, we saw purpose work, but the majority of the smart purpose work was more social purpose business strategy work than bolt-on CSR. And I think that was a big step change and a good step change. And the last and final point I'd make is really pleasingly, we saw way better measurement in the entries than we've seen before in the PR category. So, you know, less, less emphasis on output measurement and more on impact measurement. And, you know, when we went into the jury room this year as the PR jury, we were really looking for work that had PR design about it. You know, we wanted to find work that had purposely been built with a PR craft rather than amplifying a brilliant creative that wasn't necessarily
3: earned at the core.
1: Okay. Is work-washing an issue, do you believe? It certainly was discussed quite a bit.
3: Well, it's, yeah, it's been talked a lot, but just just to go back to what you said about um, being made for PR, there was that one, the one campaign about the wind, which seemed to be a Super Bowl TV ad, effectively, uh, which won a gold in PR. What was the thinking behind that?
2: So the film, the entry film if you've seen that, probably doesn't give that case the justice that what it deserves. The written entry that is submitted, was submitted with that, gave us so much more context to the business strategy that that company has implemented, Mm. which is what really got the attention and and attraction in the jury room. Which is another important flag. You know, we've talked for years now as an industry about the importance of the case film. Mm. And, I, and I still stand by that. But the word entry is, is really important. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I reflect on the 10 people that were in that room in Cannes, Everybody took that role extraordinarily seriously and they did a lot of research around the campaigns themselves. So they looked even beyond what was submitted. Um, So my, 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 my plea to the industry would also be think really carefully about that word submission. It's really important and that's where a lot of the context around the business strategy around a lot of these campaigns is uncovered
3: yeah definitely just to return to your question about mm-hmm. weightwashing so one of the interesting trends I saw this year more than normal uh, was brands acting like activists mm-hmm. so previously brands have stood for purposes and you know noble aims to help the world but I felt I saw more brands being quite subversive and taking quite polarizing stances on it on issues um, so you've got the obvious issue Iconic examples, which are fantastic, like Nike, Dream Crazy with Mm -hmm. Colin Kaepernick, Mm -hmm. which caused a lot of uh, arguments over in the US. Mm -hmm. And then you've got, you know, Gillette, The Best a Man Can Be, which, you know, certainly polarised audiences. And then you've got a whole raft of other ones as well. I've got a little list here, Harmless Guns, uh, where a load of um, erroneous blueprints for 3D printing guns were put out online.
0: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/slash people today.
3: So that when you know, you'd, uh, assembled your AK-47 or whatever, it just wouldn't work. <laughs> which is <laughs> in- yeah, We
2: love that campaign. Yeah, that's yeah, it's, a good one. It's yeah. Br- brilliant. Yeah. Uh,
3: the, the last issue, which you've mentioned, yeah. very uh, activist-type behavior, isn't it? To buy a magazine and then put it out of business on purpose. Mm-hmm. The tampon book. Um, great idea but again it's sort of finding a legal loophole to um, make a point about about how um, female hygiene should shouldn't be taxed so much mm-hmm. and then there was sleeping giants as well which was a campaign to defund bigotry uh, which was kind of deplatforming um, certain thinkers and so these these are brands or companies taking stances on political issues more than ever i would say
4: Yeah, And
2: taking action, I Mm. think that's the point too, right? Mm. Not just taking the stand, but actually doing something about it. Well, well,
3: this is where weight washing comes in. Uh, So brands, if they don't have action, they're more than ever going to get criticised for it now. And I think at the beginning of this trend, when more and more brands were being purpose driven, you could get away with a lot. As long as your intent was good and you were saying a good message, people were pretty generous to you. And now, if if you really aren't backing up what you say with proper action right the way through your company, you are liable to be um, sort of questioned on it. And there have been notable examples which I probably shouldn't refer to <laughs> due to uh, sort of relationships. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, you, you, you could you could – I know that the one example I probably can mention is Gillette, The Best Man Can Be, which was certainly criticised whether Gillette had a rightful role to play in that debate and mm. based on the other things that it had been doing in society it's legacy, yeah yeah i uh, think it's the
4: execution of that campaign as well like it it was very cheesy yeah. the content i think that's a lot of people railed against yeah
3: i think that something like night dream crazy has it's brilliant because it's just a massive truth. You know, you, you stand up for what you believe and anyone can relate to that. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't feel like it's sort of wagging its finger at you.
4: I think that's the thing. You have to do something that makes sense for you in your as a brand in your sector. So I think to add to your list, I'd mentioned Doconomy, which is a Swedish uh, fintech brand. And they uh, launched the world's first carbon credit card. So it looked at the carbon emission of everything that you bought and then gave you a ceiling on um, how much emissions you could um, be buying based on UN recommendations. And that makes so much sense for them as a brand. They're innovative, um, they're driven by tech and sort of all of this data that they can use and put to a a good cause. But then you've got other brands that are doing things um, that seemingly don't make any sense in terms of what they're, they're doing day to day. And I think if you have to explain it to a journalist, that's sort of the filter that we put on our ideas. If you have to have to explain why you're relevant to do that, mm. you just probably shouldn't do it because yeah. it does come across as work-washing.
3: Very good point. Okay,
1: I'd like to sort of move along in, in terms of um, the PR industry in the UK and how creative it is. Um, how much has this changed in recent years? Have you sort of noticed a trend? Is it's kind of indicative of more creativity in, in, the, in the PR industry?
2: Yeah, without a doubt. I think, you know, I think most agencies now operating in a market like this recognizes the importance of, and, and, and let's be careful, you know, how we phrase, you know, creative skills, but you know, planning capabilities and strategic smarts to unlock you know, the human truth and the insight and then having people with the broader creative capabilities, whether that be in ideation or production. Now's almost, I would argue, probably table stakes now. And, you know, I think moving forward and increasingly it's important to have the data and analytics capabilities to be able to not just unlock the insight but, you know, predict the success of the creative and help measure at the back end. So, yes, I think is is the answer to your question. And, you know, we, we, we see agencies all around the world now build, building in these capabilities because you can't deliver the type of work now that clients want to buy without those specialist skills.
1: Mm-hmm. James, do you have any views on, on, in terms of how creative the power industry is, or has become in recent years?
3: Um, well, I only ha- really have great insight with Weber Shanwick because mm. I haven't been working in lots of other agencies. Um, but w- from what I hear, and from what I read about, and who you know the, the work other agencies are doing, um, yes, yeah, certainly the more and more creators are being employed, specialist creators, which is, I think is is brilliant. Um, I think. I think that 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 more and more often you see PR agencies at the top table alongside the traditional ad agencies, which which is good. Uh, I think Whereas
1: previously they may, may not have been.
3: No, no, definitely not. Um, no, back in the day it was always the sort of the the above the line agency at the top table, thinking on a brand level, and mm-hmm. then. The, the tradition was that they would come up with the big idea and then hand it to the other agencies and say, you know, go Absolutely.
2: and Knock make, yourself out. Yeah, yeah. I mm. want
3: matching luggage, please. Yeah. Um, and over the years, we've seen a massive shift uh, where that brand, you know, heads of brand recognize that that idea needs to work in any channel. And, you know, and as we've seen the media landscape fragment, you know, everyone needs to be gathered around the news at 10, watching the same thing or Coronation Street. And so you could put all your money into this big TV extravaganza and that's why. That's why the ad agency had that seat. But now as as the media landscape fragments and people can be anywhere at any time on Twitter, Instagram, reading a newspaper, listening to the radio, whatever, uh, you need ideas that more than ever can work in any channel at any time. And so those ideas shouldn't be led by a beautiful TV ad. They should be led by an idea, mm-hmm. and that idea should be able to work as a TV ad, it should be able to work as a direct marketing pack, it should be able to work as a social post. Well, what's the best way
1: for the industry to continue improving or, or continue building its, its creative credentials? Is it a matter of, for example, hiring more specialist creatives or, or is it a matter of um, trying to get everybody within your team, essentially, to have that sort of creative mindset?
4: I think it's, it's about hiring um, more creatives but that have very different skill sets so previously if we'd have hired a creative person it would have been to come up with ideas or to come up with design mm. whereas because we're now agencies that create podcasts, create mini-series even make TV ads um, you sort of have to have production people uh, art directors, designers you have to have a whole raft of skills underneath creative um, that we've previously not had a call to have
3: yeah, I think one of the big things is because there's a lot of people within PR who are brilliant generalists and can do a lot of things really well. I think um, they we need to, their, their talents are, are going to be more akin to the conductor of an orchestra that knows when to bring in great mm-hmm. specialists as and when, mm-hmm. uh, or you know a GP that knows when to send someone to to the. Um, the, the bone specialist or whatever you know so I, th- I think a specialist model is, is, is definitely the future uh, and is, I the, is that
1: what you do know at Weber Shanwick did?
3: More and more specialists yeah. definitely and you know we've got seasoned comedy writers working at Weber Shanwick within um, that lot which we acquired recently you know, we've got specialists that are brilliant at social posts, and that's all they do. You know, whereas in the past, you might have got someone who was an account manager, a strategist, and and a social post writer mm. at the same time. And you you know, if you're if you're a Formula One driver, you're not going to be a great rally driver as well. Um, you, you know, you can't just be a good car driver; mm-hmm. you need to specialise um, to to really get to excellence. So, Can I
2: build on that for a minute? Because yeah. I think that. The opportunity for us as an industry is how do you combine those specialist and special creative skills with the DNA of earned? Mm. That's when the magic happens. When you can have a diverse team working together to solve a client problem, sitting around a table, let's say, where you have a... It could be... Anything from, you know, a sector specialist, someone who, if it's a food and beverage, company someone who's you know lived and worked in that issues rich category who just knows the context and the business challenges alongside somebody with specialist media relations skills alongside some of these other you know creative skills that's when you get the earned creative magic that no other in my mind in my view, creative agency can offer. And that's, I think, the blueprint that most modern communications agencies now are striving for at PACE, how to drive that connectivity within the agency to bring those people together. This is not the advertising model of account service person takes the brief The planner then crafts a brief to throw to the creative team who then comes out two or three weeks later with a great idea. That's not this model. You know, this model is nimble, agile. It's something I think really special and something that our industry owns and we need to be quicker at innovating all of our businesses to have these capabilities working together at pace to produce the sort of work that we know to your point clients need because of everything that's going on with the world the advertising media model being broken this is our time this is our time people
3: <laughs> yeah so. I, I just want to second that that i think that's a brilliant point and it is all about the team uh, and the right people, having the right people around the table, and, mm. and not copying the traditional model—very linear, baton passing. Exactly. Uh, where you know mm. it goes into strategy, gets lost for two weeks, and so it goes into <laughs> yeah. creative. After another four weeks, there's a great reveal, and it's all wrong. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and it doesn't work in a certain yeah. channel or something. Or,
2: See, yeah. I love having these debates because my husband grew up in advertising, mm. and we have these debates <laughs> yeah. all the time about the different disciplines. Right. But, you know, I, I think it's right. I think mm. this is, you know, this is the model that even the, let's just call them advertising agencies yeah. are moving towards as well, right?
3: Definitely. I mean, the only thing I'd caveat is that if you move too quickly towards a, just a very nimble, agile team, you know, you ignore the big strategy and the big idea at your peril. Yeah. It, you don't want to end up in a situation where you're just pumping out lots sure. of little activations and tactics all the time, because that's not going to add any value. Yeah, mm.
4: has uh-huh. Tie together. I would also say that creatives. So we get a lot of people um, coming straight out of London College of Communications wanting to be creatives, and that's great. Um, But I think to your point about end media being an absolute specialism, that's where we can win. That's uh, what everyone is driving towards. If you don't, if you come into PR as a creative and you don't have any immersion or knowledge of the media landscape your ideas will fall short because you're not thinking about that final moment because, yes, we go through the Q&A with the client, solving the brief, coming up with strategy, doing the creative platform, coming up with the tactics underneath that. If you can't get to that last bit where you're picking up the phone to the sun and sending it in, the idea just doesn't work.
1: How difficult is it for really large global agencies like Edelman and Weber to build creativity within their workforce. I know that um, Edelman, for example, has, has been hiring quite aggressively creative talent. Uh, can, can you sort of explain how how, how difficult it is and, and how that's sort of going for, for you, Michelle?
2: So it's it's surprisingly easy to recruit. Um, you know, look at someone like Judy John who joined us recently as our new global creative chief creative officer. You know, she, she has such pedigree in the advertising and creative world and wanting to come and join this, you know, somewhat of a unicorn industry now, I think is very telling. I think there are people who have, who are looking for where where is this new planet? (laughs) You know, we're, we're all building something new together and I think that's the really exciting part of this journey and you know, I think a lot of agencies like Edelman, Weber and others are attracting creative talent who who know that perhaps the advertising model of old is no is no longer relevant and they wanna be a part of a new agency model. So, getting the talent in is 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 not the challenge. I think the challenge for all of us is probably twofold. You know, one is how to make sure that our clients are evolving as we are evolving, and that they value the new capabilities that we're bringing in mm. to the organization. And then I think it's just making sure that that. Um, connectivity that i mentioned is working across the business and you know that's to be fair that's why i wanted to mention the lendlease example early on to say you know hey employee engagement work needs creativity you know i think we tend to think that these creative skills should be embedded into the more brand oriented part of our business but equally Creativity and providing ideation around reputation and corporate brand storytelling is again a sweet spot for us, and I think a great opportunity for for all of us. Yeah. Are
1: you finding that as well, James? Is it really? Are you finding it's quite easy to recruit um, creative talent? And is, is it? You know, yeah. how challenging is it to bring the clients along this journey?
3: Shall I answer the talent bit sure. first? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I must confess, when I first joined, decided to join Webber Shanwick, it was one of my sort of fears in the back of my mind, really, that um, how easy would it be to persuade other creatives to join me on the journey? Um, and I, I've, to start with, it was a little tricky, but I managed to persuade some decent ones to join. But I found that uh, after we started making really great work that was winning at Cannes, mm-hmm. That changed everything and suddenly we were getting people contacting me and mm-hmm. you know part of that might be if I'm honest because ad, ad agencies are downsizing and so yeah you, you do have some talent in the talent pool looking for places but I suddenly noticed a massive boost when the work was was famous so that's really that's really great I think it's very important that you make sure you get the right kind of creative talent um you'd be surprised How? what high percentage of creative talent um, are unable to make the transition Mm -hmm. to earned ideas and have Mm -hmm. been so used to working on the TV ad or the billboard that that's kind of how they think now. And it's surprising because you think the creative brain should be very versatile Mm. and be able to leap around, but that's not always the case. And I'd say probably about 80% of creatives, that's the case. Mm. Um, And so you've got to look very, very hard for the kind of, for clues within their work and, and, and what they say to, to, and the kind of, um, even the side projects that they do sometimes to mm. try and find the people that really understand that great ideas are cultural, great ideas make the news. So that, that's the big challenge. Yeah. Do you find that as well, Leslie?
4: Yeah. our uh, very new young creatives, we get them selling in so that they are sort of embedded in that media world from the very beginning. Mm. Um, but I think in terms of attracting creative talent, awards is obviously a huge pull as well um so the romance has been uh, best consumer agency for two years in a row at PR moments and off the back of that we always see a lot of um CVs heading our way and I think as long as you can show that you're creating work that everyone is very excited about and would like to create that themselves um, then you'll automatically attract the best creative talent
1: Well, what about in terms of bringing clients along the journey and and sort of encouraging some of the more cautious clients to adopt a more creative approach? James?
3: Um, Well, I think you've got to choose the clients that are most open to that kind of work and focus your efforts there. And, um, you know, we're fortunate to have won the HSBC pitch last year. And because the kind of work that won it was really highly creative... Um, we, you know, that client loves creative work and and is really keen for us to be doing great creative work. So that's brilliant. So the, there's not a huge battle needed there. Uh, and then with other ones, I guess it's sort of baby steps. And you do one piece of work that you're kind of happy with, and it, but it's revolutionary for that client because they've never seen anything like it before. And but it, but it's not you don't go from naught to a hundred right away. Mm. Um, sometimes that will then justify them investing a little bit more in the next project or being a bit bolder with the next project. And and so you just gotta work hard at those relationships.
2: Okay. I don't think I've ever heard a client say, please stop being creative. You you're too creative. You're like, <laughs> I've literally heard exactly that. Oh <laughs> uh, really? <laughs> yeah. Well you know I think I think that the type of creative that we're talking about here tends to come Clients who are buying it tend to be the clients who have a trusted relationship with the agency and know that the, let's just call it the nuts and bolts, you know, the foundation work is getting done really, really well. And that collectively, the client and the agency have an ambition around how communications-led thinking into the marketing world is the future. You know, they're the clients that are buying the work.
1: Okay, Final question, um, because we're running short of time. Uh, Is there anything the industry can do, um, any initiatives, industry-wide initiatives that um, the PR and comms um, sector can introduce that you think will help um, drive creative and innovation?
2: Um, I think we have an opportunity to drive gender diversity in the creative world. Mm. I think it's a massive problem still for the industry, and I would love to think...
1: Diversity in general, or just gender diversity?
2: probably across the board mm. but if we could start with gender that would be a great start to think that you know that perhaps the communications industry can lead the way on getting more female creatives into the mix.
4: Yeah mm. I would definitely agree with that and I think it's sort of a well known uh, societal truth and behaviour that in terms of gender pay gap, men are more confident in asking for more money that confident in going into a meeting and saying, I deserve this, this is my value, whereas women aren't. And I think it's sort of the same psychology behind female creatives, because to be a creative, you have to go into a room and say, this is the thought out of my brain that I think you should use and is really good. And a lot of people just don't want to necessarily take that quite bolshy step as women. So I think it's about empowering other women to feel like they have got a voice in the industry, their creative ideas are relevant. Um, and showing them that there are creative directors um, across the board who are female and very successful so that they can see it to want to be it.
1: James,
3: any ideas? Well, I guess uh, one idea might be to take all of the ECDs out for dinner, uh, courtesy of PR Week.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we do have a creative mentoring scheme, I I might expect. Okay,
3: (laughs) yeah. Yeah, I, I think celebrating the best work that we're all doing is, is, is a helpful thing and not always, you know, not seeing each other necessarily as competitors, but as allies, uh, you know, ultimately if we can grow the, the PR area of, of work and change the perception of PR um, beyond sort of um, media relations, which some clients still believe and, and really embrace the, the big idea and the big brand building strategy, then I think that that would be a great step forward.
1: Okay, brilliant. Thank you very much, Osley, James, and Michelle, for joining us, and I'd like to thank Marketeers, our production partner, for making this all possible. And thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye. Thanks for listening to the PR Show Podcast with Arvin Hickman. Brought to you by PR Week. If you like what you heard, please leave us a nice review.